but also my own confidence. I didn't have any. And they said, listen, we hear you've just done a PDC, do your consult. And I'm like, um, 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 okay. Everyone gets really excited about observation. Everyone gets really excited about the design, you know, putting it down on a bit of paper, whatever else. And then, oh, wow, implementation, woohoo, it's in the ground. Then management, which is forever. Don't get me wrong, I still think, you know, permaculture, uh, holistic management, biological farming, natural sequence farming, and all these other ones need to go into a room with a bat and sort it out and get a common language. Well, hello and greetings. Dan Palmer here, welcoming you back to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. Today I share episode 57, in which I enjoy a lovely conversation with a friend of mine and a long-time supporter of the Making Permaculture Stronger project, a very competent and ever-evolving permaculture designer and educator, and also a genuinely sweet and lovely human being, Michael Wardle, who's based in Queensland, Australia. Uh, where today we learn about what Michael does as, as a professional designer and we touch on his work in education as well. Always great to get the perspectives and experiences of people actually out there uh, deploying, working with permaculture design process. So without further ado, we'll jump right into our chat. I'll link in the show notes to Michael's website and some of the other resources uh, and projects he's part of. Enjoy the conversation. I'll think I'll sign off here and looking forward to catching you in episode 58. All right, well, here we are. Come, I'm, I'm coming at you today from a two-week mandatory hotel quarantine in Auckland, and I'm speaking to my friend and colleague, Michael Wardle, who's based in Laidley, Queensland. About an hour, is it, out of Brisbane? Yeah, it's about just over an hour, yeah, absolutely. And we've been planning this for a while. It's deciding to finally be making it happen, where I'm really interested to have a conversation focused around you sharing your story as a professional permaculture designer and educator. Cool. All right. Yeah. I look forward to diving into it, Dan. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, the best place to start is always the beginning. Mm. And um, interestingly enough, as a, as a professional designer, while I've been involved in permaculture for a long time, I hadn't actually taken the dive and done a PDC or any of that sort of stuff. And ultimately the stars aligned and I ended up going away and, um, you know, I was away for a month and I did a number of courses, including the permaculture design course. I um, was fortunate enough to be at, on the Milkwood at the farm for a while. And um, I got home, when I finally got home, it, the very next day the phone rang and um, it was someone who I'd known, I don't know how many years ago, they were in charge of a childcare center and they said, listen, we hear you've just done a PDC, do you consult? And I'm like, um, 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 okay. And then got on the phone to Nick straight up and said, uh, help, what do I do? Because while I just finished the course, it was amazing experience, learned a great deal about it. It really awoke my passion, but I had zero idea with regards to consultancy work. So I must jump in. So Milkwood is Milkwood Permaculture and Nick is Nick Ritter from oh, yeah, sorry, Permaculture, yeah. who at the time were closer to you. All right. So you asked Nick, what the heck do I do? Yeah. And um, um, what do yeah. you say? Oh, well, he said, listen, you know, think about your time, you know, look at how much you're going to charge, really go through the process, you know, trust the process. I mean, it was the, the conversations were going back and forth quite extensively. And so um, I took the plunge and went down and um, tried to be as thorough as I possibly could with the design and to respect also, as, as Nick said, you know, respect your time, value your time as well and hand that across. But that was really my first real foray into it. And then very shortly after, I got another phone call and it was all via word of mouth. I didn't have a website. I didn't have a Facebook page. Um, I got a word of mouth saying, hey, listen, I heard you just did a consult for XYZ. 
I really liked what they what you did for them. Uh, can you come and do something for here? And that was for another after school hours care center. And, and when, when are we talking? How long ago was this? <sighs> Six years, probably. Okay. Or was when I first really dived into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a, it was like a cliff face, and I was on the cliff face. It's like, am I going to jump or am I not? And I just closed my eyes and jumped and haven't looked back. And from there, it was pretty much word of mouth for a while. Um, and then a friend of mine convinced me, no, you need a Facebook page. All right, I got a Facebook page. And then some another friend said, no, you need a web page. All right, okay, I got a web page. But for most part, it's been via word of mouth, uh, which is really interesting um, yeah, as far as is. consultancy was concerned. I get a lot of messages and stuff and see in comments. There's a lot of people that follow the show that are either um, relatively early in their design journey, as well as there's quite a few that have been designing for five, 10 years, including yourself, that are connected to the project. But a lot of people that have either just started or are, are kind of trying to figure out how to start, how to take that initial jump, just as you were standing there, like with an invitation into this trial by fire with the invitation to your first job. So um, hopefully this is going to be a useful chat for them. And one thing I want to ask you, when Nick said, trust the process, what was the process? Like, can you remember what it is yeah. you actually did on that first project or the first couple? Yeah. The first process I was actually ever introduced to was Dave Jackie's Through Edible Forest Gardens. So that was the, the process I was. And so, you know, going through that goal articulation stage, going through the various layers after building the base map, you know, really drawing out the context of the design. And then, you know, from there, identifying where the connections were and, you know, where the potential tensions could be. And then from there, doing a, a design based on conversations with the client. So, yeah, it was very much based on the Dave Jackie method. I didn't know there were other methodologies at that point. Um, while I'd read lots of books, it just in my mind, I just kept bringing it back to this one. And so it wasn't until um, a few years later did I start getting introduced to all sorts of other different design methodologies. But um, I'll, I'll say that, you know, Dave's work has really, really influenced the way I look at design and landscapes in that. I mean, I, there were some aspects, I won't say frustration, but there were some some parts that didn't quite seemed I needed more, which ultimately led to me adding different bits to it, you know, looking at those value statements that we were talking about um, when you when you were up here last, to draw out more context from the client to the side. So it's getting it away from just purely that food production, but looking at it as a whole life context rather than just a, a land edible design context. Yeah, great. Well, heck of a place to start, you know, with the with J- Dave Jackie's stuff. It's a which is, in my understanding, is still a um, I'd say a lot deeper and more sophisticated than my my senses. A lot of PDCs, permaculture design courses, present in terms of design process. Mm, mm. I mean, um, I was fortunate enough to when he was um, down in Victoria last. I was fortunate enough to go down and do the um, forest gun design intensive with Dave, and it was it was amazing. I mean, the books were great, but Dave talking to him just took it to a whole new level. You know, rather than trying to tease it out, it's like, well, from the book, it's like you can ask ask him the direct questions and he gives you an answer or he gives you another question that forces you to think even deeper. And by the end of it, it's like my mind was just fried. I mean, it was just so much. Yeah, the book was one thing, but conversations were something completely different. Yeah. Totally, yeah. It was probably part of that same visit. I got to attend a one-day thing with him. And like for an hour or so, he spoke directly to design process. And, oh, my God, music to my ears. <laughs> and, and then... And then it, Maybe it was another trip. I can't remember, but he, he did a, a consultancy at Yandoit Farm, which I'd been helping out mm. with the project, and that was that was a lot of fun. Spending a day learning learning how 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 it rolls out in practice. Mm. Okay, so you started there, and I reckon, and that, that's six years ago. And it's I think a lot of people will be fascinated to to hear that it was from early on. It was primarily word of mouth, and to, and that that continues to be the case, right? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, mean, I am getting more and more contact through my website now than what it was previously. 
but mostly it has been through word of mouth, which has been really exciting. Also, oh, I was going to say some listeners might be like, I want to check the website out right now. What, what is it? Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, save us all permaculture.com.au is the website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm getting um, more and more, but like, I guess actually since COVID, things have really ramped up. A lot of people are very interested in, in, in the sort of stuff that we do and, and are requesting more. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm fortunate enough now to have a number of um, past students who are diving into this space as well. So I found that if there's one in a particular area, I'll, you know, I'll say, well, listen, you know, I'm currently at capacity, um, but I've got a student, past student who lives around the corner from you. Uh, would you be interested in talking to them? So they're wanting to get into that space as well. So we're starting to, to share that work and pass it around. Oh, well, I'd love cool. to explore that more. One thing I'll ask first is, is you're also, you're doing a lot of d- working as a designer as well as mm. education what was the relationship did you did you start designing first and then educating or the other way around and what's the, what's the relationship between those two been for the last six years yeah that's a great question i mean uh, it was definitely designed before education and the education was birthed out of two things the first was i found that the consultancy work tended to be more education than design if that made sense. So, you know, what for me, it was never about just do a drawing on a bit of paper with a, with a 30, 50, 100 page port, depending on whatever it was, hand it over and walk away. It was like, well, you know, that's still, you're handing over something that they may not quite understand. So there was a lot of education in how it worked, why it works, what are the connections, the reasons why we did things, got feedback from them. So it was a very interactive conversation rather than just uh, design a client. You know, it was, it was, I've called it more a, a facilitator of a conversation rather than than um, imposing my will on the client's landscape, as it were. And then it sort of led from there into the education space where there was a group of us actually sitting around here having a couple of drinks one day, really frustrated because we couldn't get any educator to come out from Brisbane or the Sunshine Coast or whatever else. And a friend of mine turned around and said, Michael, put up or shut up. And it's like, okay, no, fair, I'll take that. And that kind of, well, started the idea of me moving into that teaching space as well or that education space. So um, a combination of the two. And I found it really synergistic that, you know, the the stuff that I learned through the consultancy and educating the clients through that process and what was involved as far as the design and then to implementation and then to management, I'm very big on the management side of things, actually tied really well into people who wanted to come into that more formal classroom space space. I mean, there's a lot of hands-on, but it was still the lessons learned carried across really well. So, you know, teaching from experience rather than teaching from a textbook. Yeah, fantastic. One thing that's landed with me from what you've said is that it, from the very beginning for you, your experience of designing wasn't separate from education in any way. And, and then now the education's happening, they're kind of cross-pollinating and people that you're working with in a design context, they're attending the courses. And I'm sure it goes the other way too, that people attend a course sometimes get a bit of extra help on their actual projects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah, good. Well, I'd say a good portion of my work, but there is a, a nice chunk of it anyway, that people who have, you know, they've come from consultancy to the courses to learn more or the other way. So definitely. Now, one thing that intrigues me here, Michael, is that what I'm hearing is from the very beginning, you were in more of a seeing your engagement in a design context as you showing up as your role being around not a designer experience imposing ideas, imposing your will on the landscape or the client or both, but kind of holding space for a facilitated conversation. Because for me, I'm, I'm, I get a bit annoyed when I hear that because it took me a long time <laughs> to get to that point. Like when I started, I was much more in an impositional space. And it was only after four or five years that I really started to realize, hey, this doesn't cut it. I really need to 
you know, more deeply support people to be in control of their own journey. So mm. tell me more about that. How did you get so lucky from the get-go? Was it Dave Jackie's influence or? Oh, listen, partly, absolutely, but also my own confidence. I didn't have any. I did. I thought I was, you know, faking it in the space, if that makes sense. So I allowed more airtime for the client to really talk about and we can facilitate that. And over time, it just became part of my process. And as I, you know, I, I did gain more confidence in myself. I'm an introvert by nature. And so, um, you know, I like to hide after dealing with a lot of people. And I mean, if you'd known me 10 years ago, I was that guy hiding in the corner who never used to say much, very much at all, I, you know, I'm outside of the, my core group of friends who I knew quite well. But yeah, so from that, coming from that space, man, I gave them more leeway into those conversations, more um, edges into that. And, and that developed a very different style to what I'd encountered. And, you know, when you're adding along the lines of what Dave Jackie talks about with, you know, building that goal articulation rather than a vision, you know, or a target, it's you know, what are we articulating out of this? And then, you know, how's that resonating with the client? And then how are you marrying that up with the landscape? And it, it took away the pressure of, you know, you're the, if you excuse the term, expert, you know, that, um, yeah, where you're, I won't say co-creating, but you're working with the client. They're coming to you for a reason. And so it's it's almost like a mentor-mentee relationship in that space, um, helping to guide those and navigate those those nuances. Wow. And I know you've also, you're, you're, you read a lot, you engage a lot, you've learned a lot from other people. I know you've done stuff with Rosemary Morrow and no doubt a whole bunch of other uh, permaculture teachers, mentors, elders, or whatever. Mm. What are some of the, if, if you kind of scan back and think about the way you've thought about design process, the way you've practiced it and taught it in the last six years, do, do any other kind of uh, pivotal moments come to mind or epiphanies or has it been a process of just sort of continually firming up the same skeleton sort of thing? Or has, has there been times where you've kind of started from scratch or how would you describe it? Um, well, when I've, I, the reason I've gone, out, I've gone out and done so much, I was like, it was like something awoke inside of me from that first course. It was like a sponge. I couldn't get enough of it. I, you know, learning in a formal environment was not me. And all of a sudden it was like, whoa, I just can't get enough. And I still can't. I keep saying, no, no, that's enough. And then next year something else goes like, oh, I'd really like to do that. And, you know, next year I'm off, I'm off exploring that. But I found the, be the best way I learned was I went in and just became that sponge again and absorb it as much as I possibly could and then go away and play with it, whether on my own landscape or with clients or in the, in the classroom and see what resonated and what didn't and why. Really, really, you know, beat that with a stick to see what crawls out. And um, from there, you know, either change what I'm doing, incorporate something else or go, mm, no, that's not resonating with me and I'll keep going with the way I'm doing things. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Let me get a feel for what's happening currently. So how many design projects you got going, you know, you've had going the last several months, you know, what kind of spaces they're in, what kind of, how spread out, spread out they are across the country or whatever. Okay. And then I'd, then I'd like to dive in and, and if you're happy to take us through in some detail, the actual process and, and yeah. how, how it's played out in different cases. Yeah, absolutely. So um, currently I've got, I think five or six different, I was actually had a couple of emails this morning, which I've responded to. So I had, I'd, about five or six at the moment, maybe a couple of more. I've got two long-term clients that I'm working with, so up to three years. So slowly working with them. You know, we don't we pull a, we don't really get into doing a detailed map as 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 it were. We do little bits at a time, accept that feedback, and then move on. So, um, and that's usually over a three-year three-year period. 
Um, I've got a couple of working plans I'm working on, which is is more the standardized. You do a plan with an, with um, try to make it as, as flexible as you can within the, the context of the client and then sort of hand that over. So there's a couple of those and um, a couple of concept designs, so really broad stuff um, into that space. Yeah. Hey, I think this is a particularly fascinating aspect of the way you work, actually. So let's 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 follow that that trail. Yeah, you've mentioned the three. So you concept plan. So you engage over a shorter period. I take it, it gives people some high level direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And then then a working plan, which continues the process, but you, you you consciously don't use the word master plan. And even though it might have more detail, you're educating them along the way to let them know it's it's your life, it's your property, it's your decisions. It's all flexible. Yeah, try to make it as flexible as I can with the time frame that I've got. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they've, they've booked me for a time, X amount of hours. And so we try and get as much done within that time frame as we can. Yeah. Yeah. And now this last one, which I think is particularly juicy, right? And that I'm fascinated by is when people engage you over years. Mm. And so what? tell us about that. How do you, what's the value proposition? How do you communicate that with people? You know, is it, is it a lump sum for the whole, you know, it'd be good to hear about some of the details. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the way it works out is, you know, we'll, you know, typically it starts with initial property visit. We'll go in and talk about various aspects and they'll say, so where to from here? And I'll put out various options for them. And if they've got any questions, you know, leave them with all the, the brochures and all the other bits and pieces about how and why. And, you know, there's a lot of conversations between that. And what I tend to do for those that are sort of wanting to know more, I try to marry them up with a previous client. So rather than hear it from me and read it from my website, it's like, here, talk to them. You know, they'll give you the rundown on the way I do things, how I do it, you know, and see if that resonates with you at all. And, and then from there, they'll either, typically, it's like, oh, yeah, that's really great and move forward. Some are like, no, no, this is what we want to do. We can see it. We see the value in it. And they just go in straight up. Typically, they pay me on a yearly basis. So once a year on the anniversary in advance. And, you know, I work with them, you know, up to five hours a month in that space, doing research and coming up with options. And, you know, some clients in the past have used me as a checkpoint. It's like, oh, Michael's coming this month. We've got to get that work done. Or, you know, they've got, they send me lots of questions and they're, and they're curious about lots of details. And so I'll, I'll come to that with that space. You know, what have we done? What feedback have we learned? How are we going to move forward in this space? Have you had any you know, changes in thought with regards to this, even though we've got a goal articulation and we've come up with a vision and we've got all the, the different values that we've explored, life changes. So allowing that evolution to happen within that space, I think is, is really cool. What it boiled down to is, and um, I've been told I've seriously undervalued myself in that space. It works out to be about $30 a week is what they get me for, as what they cost them, um, which is really affordable for most people. But then they get me for three years in that space so it's a it's a it's a commitment from both sides you know part of that initial property visit that i go through is also part of what i call a good fit call um where we sit and during that conversation it's is it something that we can both work together on because the last thing you want is is conflict within that space especially when you're diving into anywhere up to three years yeah and fascinating so yeah the good fit calls you get the opportunity to speak with past clients where you're you're genuinely interested in so is you know is this a good fit for you for me yeah let's both consider this carefully and then you then you dive in where they're they basically so if they're paying annually they're committed to at least a year with the idea it's ongoing yep that that excites me it's something that i've been wanting to move into under the influence of Carol Sanford and, and working with organizations and businesses, uh, work, usually working in the permaculture space as well, is, is like, look, here's what it's going to take. Realizing that when you move into design 
where one of the primary roles you're playing is, is an, as an educator, as, as a resource, and you're supporting the folk you're working with to grow and evolve and develop their thinking and their own design capacity. It's, it takes time, right? Like you're talking, we're often talking about shifting really fundamental understandings and patterns. Mm. And, and it's to be able to support that over years as opposed to trying to squeeze it into a week or a month or whatever. A week or a month. But even then, you know, I've, you, I don't know if you've had it, but sometimes you know, you go in and you talk to the client and you, you, you know, the, the traditional model of, of doing a design and you go in and you talk to the client and later on when you go to present the design, they'll say, they'll, they'll give you an answers. It sounds really great. You try and pull out as much as you can. And then when you go to present, they'll say something else. And it's like, let's pull that out. Let's draw that out for a bit. There's something that's not quite resonating here. So you, you pull it all out on the table and it's like, this design's not going to work because of something that was not said early on, where over the delving with them over the years, the conversation changes and people open up more and through that you get deeper and deeper into that yeah it's it's really quite exciting i'll say and so i'd love to hear get into some detail so maybe maybe one of these three-year consultancies that's maybe whatever halfway through or it's somewhere along the way just be good to hear a little bit about what's happened you know how, how it started what's what's emerging month to month maybe some of those shifts when new layers of information were revealed or just to to try and give i'm 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 imaging people getting into professional design or design at a professional level and i I suspect there's probably someone listening thinking i want more you know how how, so tell me more tell me more how do i how what would it mean for me to explore this way because there's certainly aspects that appeal Mm. yeah i mean really um having a solid foundation to work from in the first place so really understanding the process you're using rather than just pulling willy-nilly out of the air i think is really fundamental and understanding that we are designing from that series of ethics, you know, are we caring for the earth? Everything for me goes back to those ethics. So, um, you know, these decisions and these conversations that we're happening, are we caring for the earth? Are we caring for the clients or the people in this space and the neighbors and the community? Uh, and then also, are we looking to that future for the area and for their, you know, depending on like uh, I had one and uh, when we were doing the initial conversations, they had like five generations in the room. That was exciting. So you're getting from, you know, the grandparents right through to the grandkids having a say in this initial conversation that's pooling in. That's an incredible space to be in, especially when they're also involved in a project. And from there, you know, really starting to assess the land. So going through and, like I said, you know, looking at the different overlays. So looking at the land base. And then when you're looking at that, so, you know, where's the deficiencies within that, you know, from soil to water to what the history of the place is as well. History is fundamental you know, the, the, the way it's been treated over X amount of hundreds, if not thousands of years, if you can pull out that information, because that's going to lead up to where it currently is today. And from that, marrying those needs. Now, the, the different values that I use, um, I don't know if this is a place you want to touch on it now, but for me, this is really key. You know, understanding, asking the questions of what is your healing value? You know, what is it, not just a physical healing, but also a potentially spiritual or an inner peace sort of environment as well that you want to get out of this? not just uh, for you, and then asking, you know, the production value. So what is those physical assets you want to get out of it? You know, the growing of the food, the timber, the fiber, whatever else it may be, you know, that that's only one of the values. Recreation value, how are you going to use the space? What activities are going to be here? Yeah, how are you going to, you know, with regards to family, with regards to friends, with regards to yourselves in that? Um, what is your social value? So the social value has to do with more community. How is the community involved in this space, whether it be neighbours or the suburb or whatever else, you know, tying into that, that, that vernacular, uh, the environmental value, you know, what is it you're looking at honoring from a local bioregional perspective, but also from a global, you know, we talk about think global, act local. So what is it you want to achieve 
in that space with regards to biodiversity or supporting local fauna or whatever else it may be. And the last one is education. So, and it's not about what they want to teach. It's more so about what do they want to learn? You know, these things when they're implemented over time. So, you know, when you're talking about planning a lot, oh, but I know nothing about pruning. Well, you know something, that tree is going to be at least three years before it's ready to be pruned. Right, let's get into that. And how can we get that in that? And what skills are going to be required over time? All right, so it's not just in space, it's also in time. So that brings that into play as well. And, you know, whether they might want to get into ceramics or they might want to get into whatever, you know, oh, well, now, okay, bringing in a, and from there we can choose the different elements made that can support those functions, those values in that. And then how can we marry it all together based on access, circulation, um, zoning, you know, all the, all the standard sort of stuff that we talk about. I smile because you you know you're, you're reeling this stuff off just just like it's just like this is just pretty standard. This is how you do things, but as you say, it's not. It's a, there's a lot of years and a lot of thought behind this. <laughs> yeah, as you said earlier, you're a non-traditionalist here, and so let's let's focus in on that. So, so I've I've had a little bit of exposure in the past. We've, we've I've been up to your place and we've done some stuff together and, and whatever. So yeah. I've had a bit more more history and context than listeners, but. My understanding is part of what you're doing there is there's probably some clear inspiration from Dave Jackie Gold's articulation. And I know you've dived into Alan Savory's holistic management and done yeah, work with, yeah. with, with holistic decision making. Placemaking comes into it as well. Right. Placemaking. Yeah. 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 And one thing you're doing, so you've, you've, you've clarified, you've distinguished these different, le- the values, healing, recreation, so on, education. Um, and he used those as a, as a kind of a framework to, to tease out different aspects that matter of any of these projects you're engaged in. Hmm. What it starts to become, it sounds like, is is really centering the project not just on this specific farm or, you know, the fact that we wanted to do some whatever is rotational grazing or make a food forest, but what, how, how does that sit within our lives as a whole, our relationships, us as a family, and mm. so on? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a counsellor by any means of the words or any of that sort of stuff, but I mm. found that, you know, if you really don't meet the needs of the clients in what you're designing in the landscape, then it doesn't invite them to participate within that conversation. You know, it's just... Oh, look, we've got a garden bed or, oh, look, we've got an orchard system or, oh, good, we've got, you know, whatever else it may be. But, you know, bringing those in and, and it's understanding, bring, teasing out what their needs really are. I mean, going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you're meeting one layer, then you can move into the next and move into the next up to self-actualization. But understanding what the needs of the particular client are and then it's like, well, okay, how can we meet those needs in the landscape but in such a way that invites them to come out and participate in that rather than hands off and, so it, it's not work, it becomes a pleasure. It's, not, it's, it's something that's going to support their quality of life, but in turn, they're going to want to support the regeneration of the landscape. So it's, it's, it becomes mutualism. Hmm. Beautiful. And did you tell us about the scale of the projects? You know, is it from the backyards up to, I know you're doing work on larger farms, or is it mostly farms? What's the breakdown there? Um, listen, from I've done um, you know courtyard gardens, um, schools, a couple of schools, a number of daycare centres, and after school cares, um, suburban backyards, a number of those, and um, lifestyle acreages. Getting a few more of those now. I've done a few of those and a few larger farms. Um, I think the biggest farm I did was about 280 acres. That was fun. Um, I swore myself never again after that. But I've had got a lot more experience now than what I did when I did. It was a number of years ago I did that. And it's like, it, um, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was interesting to play with at the time. But I now recognize that I needed to. You've got to understand your own limitations too. Pull in help when you need it. If you're not certain, ask. 
And I think that's something we need to, to recognize and do more of. Mm. Which reminds me, you, you said before we started that you've, um, you're involved at Northeast Street City Farm, which is like a permaculture mm. hub. Education site in the middle of Brisbane, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you, you, you were saying that um, you put up a brochure or something about a, whatever it is, a workshop on um, professional permaculture design consultancy, what's the next step? And there's, there's a lot of interest. It's already half full, mm. even though it's next year. Mm. What, what are some of the things you would say to people in that, in that space that are you know, maybe doing an, they've got another job but they're really excited and they, they'd like to take that first step into into making yeah. this part of their livelihood the way i learned was organically so i, I was i you know I, I fumbled through the space okay and um, i made a lot of mistakes and so the idea behind that conversation is is to to you know hopefully these people can avoid some of those mistakes and interestingly enough it was on the more business side of things than it is on the drawing or it is on the on the, how to do a niche analysis or is that, you know, and while there's some stuff we can talk about as far as clients is concerned, but, you know, understanding um, what is your value and honoring that and understanding the expenses behind that and, you know, really delving into your insurances and what's required. And because otherwise you just think, oh no, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to do a design. And then, you know, you do a design, you might get paid for it. And then, you know, six months later, the money's out. Um, what am I going to do? You know, you, cause you've got to think of those long-term things to be, for it to be truly sustainable as well. It's not just for the client, but also for yourself. You know, you don't want to, you can burn out very quickly in that space. If you don't think about some of the bigger things like, you know, your superannuation, you know, what are you, or putting savings away for that, for that rainy day or the resources re, uh, required, you know, cause it's easier. Oh, I need this. I'll just go out and buy it and buy it, and buy it, and buy, it and buy it or acquire it in some fashion. But if you haven't prepared for that, then there's you, you got to borrow from Peter to pay Paul. Um, and, um, you know, thinking about those things from the start, I think is really important. Understanding what is the context of your business, you know, rather than just accept any job. What is it, you know, specialize a little, I won't say specialize, that's not quite the right word, but what are the things you're drawn to time and time and time again? Understanding these questions and then going, well, actually, I really like wrestling with, Suburban landscapes, awesome. Actually, you know, oh no, I really like wrestling with the the, the lifestyle blocks. Awesome, but understand that because they they behave they're different, and and you treat them differently in design, because yeah, different different contexts, different um, you know, different people are attracted to different spots, and the land has been treated very differently as well. Um, so different strategies and tools and techniques come into play. Hmm. I had a flashback actually to. You you came along to one of these once, but the advanced design courses where there's a I don't know if I did it on your one, but there was there's a moment where I'd have people pair up and practice telling each other what they charge. Because <laughs> no, I don't remember that. But okay, yeah, have, have that issue, you know. <laughs> so, so okay, so I want to go ahead with with you helping me with my permaculture design. What do you charge? And, mm. and like a lot of people had a real block there, so just getting the opportunity to practice saying I charge X per hour, you know, with a, with a sort of a take it or leave it this is what I value myself at kind of energy. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's a big question. And, um, you know, I know a lot of permaculturists who are working in this space who actually charge when, they, when they, at the end of the day, after they've paid their expenses, are actually earning less than minimum wage. And, you know, they're, they're turning around and struggling to, to pay the rent or, or whatever else it may be. And so is that truly sustainable in the long term? And they're either having to hold a second job, and I know some, um, and myself included, at times have had to have a third job to try and support ourselves in our passion. Is that doable in the long term? Or you know, it's, that's that's some of the big questions to ask. 
Yeah. And then when, of course, the potential tax bill as well, when that arrived, you're looking, oops, you know, I didn't squirrel anything away for that. And, you know, it's the side of things that we don't really consider. And while we are looking at creating a world that we don't need a word for what we do, we are also working within the current paradigm as well. So accepting that value in that and our own value in that space. What are your thoughts on the potential for making permaculture design your main thing? Because in your case, you've, I take it you've don't need the second and third jobs anymore, but you're doing education. You're still working with Northeast mm. City Farmers and organizing. Yeah, I mean, this, don't get me wrong, the second job's nice. <laughs> it, it does top up. Understanding what the limitations are, um, you know, what are your expenses, you know, so therefore you can actually decide where you're going to be. It is possible. It is possible to work in that space and do it, uh, earn enough to actually be viable as a, as a, as a designer. It just takes time. You know, I was fortunate enough when I started in this space here where I am, there wasn't many that were doing it. And so, you know, word of mouth spread pretty quick and people liked what I did and it was fine. But, you know, more and more coming in, I think we need to really highlight that idea of working together, respecting that we're all doing things slightly differently. And like I have with part of that good fit for with a client, if something I say doesn't resonate with them, I'm more than happy to help find someone that will work with them, you know? So that's part of that arrangement that we have. So it's sort of, well, you know, what I do doesn't quite resonate. That's fine. But I'll tell you what, I know five or six others who do things slightly differently. How about we organize something with them to see if they're available in that space? Mm. Mm -hmm. I want to try and get a tangible sense, like maybe one of these longer term engagements. Mm. Is it like we, you spend the first six months articulating the values of the clients and then you, look at the site for the next six months and then you hone in on some earthworks or, you know, what's the, the, the classic answer. It depends. Yeah, um, yeah. It really does depend on the client. You know, we, we can, you know, it's the pulling out of the values and while it's an initial thing, we are constantly revisiting that all the time and checking as, a, as part of our pulse for, as we make a decision, let's check against the values. Like if we're doing it, let's check against this. Have these, are, are these still the same? You know, because during it, it's like, well, actually, no, that's not quite what I meant. I meant something else. And then we can sort of tease it out a bit more. I've had some clients who have latched onto the ideas and blitzed it in 12 months. But then, you know, problems start to arise because it was so fast. There was no level of feedback. And so we're spending time having to readjust um, as things go on. Where in other clients, it's, you know, we, as we go through, we identify something that's tangible and we work on that. And then as we're working on that, we start identifying other aspects within the property and in their context of tangible as well. So it's a small ongoing thing over three years is the idea rather than all at once, because that's when problems tend to arise normally. You know, the, the we haven't, our foundations have shifted um, and we spend more time trying to fix our foundations rather than that small and slow approach. How often do you, I, I, I've had a surprising a surprisingly large number of the people I've worked with on larger properties mm. have have had the we're going to hit it hard we're going to get everything done in six months we're going to hire the expert that kind of energy and even sometimes if they've said yes to your, your equivalent of your good fit call mm. have you had much of that have you how you know where, where, where sometimes there's a real role to sort of hey slow down slow down slow down very much so actually recently I had one I I got a phone, uh, uh, an email uh, one Thursday night. It was late at night and I didn't get it till Friday morning when I turned on my computer. And uh, we're getting, earth, you know, we've only had conversations. We haven't really, you know, we've just started to, to map out some concepts and ideas and, and really shoring it out. And I got a, in the email said, we're getting an excavator in on Saturday. Are you available? And I'm like, 
this I open the email at 4 a.m. and I'm like, I need a coffee um, before I before I answer this. And so I answered it, and I was trying to be as you know as 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 you know. Well, this is things things we got to consider. And no, I can't. Unfortunately, I can't make it because it's the last day of the PDC, and I've got to go teach it. And rah, rah, rah. and then that night, it was um, on the phone and doing diagrams on the whiteboard, and because it, it was happening, it was going ahead. So and I couldn't get on site, and so. Um, ultimately, uh, it didn't happen. I got an email on the, on the Monday morning saying, listen, we decided we weren't going to do it. So we've just parked it up over there. And it's like, because <sighs> I couldn't be on site. We'd only had a few conversations. And I'm so, you know, the photographs, the whiteboard was getting an absolute workout on how it works and looking at measurements. And yeah, so it does happen from time to time. But I mean, that's part of that wild sector that you really can't, you don't have any control over. Um, and you can only sort of listen. I, I recommend we slow down. You know, these these are not small things we're talking about. Let's really assess it before we move on, uh, because otherwise, long term, you know, one day they'll wake up and be frustrated with it because it was just powered through, and then they're not happy, and then they're going to not going to look after it, and then the land's not happy, and then who knows what the you know, it's all downhill from there. Um, totally. Yeah. I don't know if I ever told you I, I was engaged in Melbourne on a just outside of Melbourne on a, I don't know five acres or something for a design consultancy and I walk up the driveway and there's an excavator digging as I arrive and he runs out and says hey good to see you Dan let's get started so what do you think we should dig next and that yeah that was that was one of the harder harder ones I can imagine it's already there and it's already moving <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you've made lots of mistakes along the way Michael um, are mm. there any are there any you know particularly uh, interesting or relevant mistakes you'd be, be happy to share with us in terms of Focusing on them in terms of what what they helped you learn and shift. Yeah, um, big thing was my own personal biases came into play. Um, I learned really early on that you know they can really affect a design. So learning to take them out the back and beat them with a stick from time to time to see the calls out was really really important to me um, because you know it's not just dealing with the biases of the client. I mean even students and stuff as they come into a courses. There's an activity I run towards the end of the course where I get them to do a quick three minute design of their property. And then, and typically it's what they already had in their head, what they were going to do. And then I said, right, let's put that to one side and get another sheet of paper and let's do one that's completely different. It's not allowed to be the same. You've got three minutes, go. Um, and it's, it really gets people thinking because all of a sudden it's these biases, they have to put them aside and move on. So that was a big one for me. Um, also recognizing, you know, that, that confidence thing for me, while it did slow me down initially and add, added up to a, a larger conversation, recognize when you don't know. All right. And I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by some, some very solid friends who really helped me in that space. And it's like, well, you know, I could call on them because we're really quite comfortable with each other to, you know, listen, I don't know, but they do. You know, let's get them in on the project and let's move on. Um, because it's, you don't want to, I hate the term, but fake it until you make it. Does that make sense? Yeah, you really be honest with this stuff because the long-term consequences can be huge. And I think that's probably the two biggest lessons uh, for me, was recognizing my own biases, but also understanding the limitations of what I know, mm-hmm. and, and so, willing to call in the big spanner if necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, tell me more about not faking it till you make it. So, how do you make it without faking it? Yeah, um, taking it slow, not rushing it, and really appreciate, celebrate what you're doing. Actually, I mean, think about it. We're actually looking at and at regenerating landscapes wow, what an honor and celebrate that. But in that celebration, don't rush it. 
taking your time to really learn and understand what's going on in the soils and the landscape and the way it moves and rather than just rush it and get something out on paper, which is the, what we, we tend to do. It's like, get it out on paper and getting it out on paper is fine. But you know, the whole idea for me is, is pulling it back to a concept and then allow that to be flexible rather than go to detail. Because it's easy to go to detail and draw out of that um, permaculture grab bag, as it were, and you know, there's a herb spiral and there's a banana circle and there's a hookah culture and there's a whatever. It may not suit the, uh, the, the landscape at all, but we're just reaching into a bag, but really appreciating that thoughtful observation. And, and, and don't just look at, you know, whether, you know, what is there on site, but what is the potential of that site? I was involved in a conversation. I wasn't, it was only a conversation um, with a friend of mine and they were involved in a larger conversation. They were saying, well, listen, we're having these huge discussions about whether it's going to be, whether we live in a rainforest, is it still a rainforest or is it a dry chloroform? And so they're looking at it from that design perspective. I said, if I can butt in, to me, it sounds like the wrong conversation. It's like, well, that's what it could be, but what is the potential of the landscape? You know, when you're looking at water hydration and all that sort of stuff. So limiting it to, oh, it's dry chloroform. So therefore we've got to work within that framework. It's like, well, is it? You know, what is it over the history of its site? You know, really looking and taking away those lenses that sort of narrow down that um, that field. Hmm. Hey, t- talking about hydration landscape, I remember you were really excited. Well, I was excited to hear you sharing some stuff you'd learned from, I think it was the son of Peter Andrews. Is that right? Yeah, Which Peter is and nat- Stuart nat- Andrews. Yeah, yeah natural absolutely. sequence farming. Mm. Could you just give us a really quick, I want to ask you about education and PDCs and stuff as well, but just, oh, okay. just a few, just a few flavors and, and whether whether that's it um, continuing to inform what your design work yeah absolutely i mean i'd actually lost interest in doing larger landscapes i you know, the, i found my toolbox limited in some aspects and i was fortunate enough to spend time with um stuart and and peter at a, at a course out near warwick just before covid lockdown actually so it was perfect timing and um it was only four days and tried to soak up as much as possibly could within those four days but you know, looking at the the lens which which they looked at the landscape, and you know, understanding that you know this this step hydrology that we had, and Australia once had a one in three hundred year fire cycle. I mean, that's huge. You know, understanding that surface area and water collection and mists and fogs and just to get out of the whole idea of rainfall and really look at that long term. And it resonates a lot with what I've been reading recently about some of the First Nations ideas with regards to landscape. You know, and in, in in that they observed for, you know, we look, go, oh, you know, six months, 12 months. Well, no, they were look observing it over generations before they actually made a change. And they were seeing the way things were moving. And they said, well, how can we enhance that? How can we? And it's sort of going to that level in looking at it. In brief, it talks a lot of similar things. How can we slow the flow of water, spread it out in the landscape? Um, really coming down to hydrology being the key to unlocking a lot of the, 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 the potential in our landscape. And understanding that, you know, a wetland doesn't mean a swamp. You know, most people think I've got to build a wetland. So it's, it's, but understanding that at times it is dry, you know, it's still got a function within that landscape and a really important one. And you can seriously increase the productivity. And I'm not just necessarily talking commercial productivity. I'm talking about, you know, across the board ecologically by reinstating a lot of those wetland systems. And, you know, I was reading, I think we're up to, Australia's lost something like 95% of its wetlands in the last 150 odd years and then we wonder why we're drying out you know it's really quite critical but it did change the way i looked at the larger landscapes again and got me excited 
And so the last few of the, the long-term clients who have come on board have, have all been larger landscapes. And it's really interesting to see you're playing with whole valleys. You're not just looking at this 600 square block or whatever else it may be. So yeah, it's having, having big impacts. Mm-hmm. That's great to hear. I'll get a link out of your track one down and put that in the show notes if you want to follow up on that stuff. Mm. Always nice to find opportunities for cross-pollination and sort of independent but complementary lineages and practices out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, um, don't get me wrong. I still think you know permaculture, uh, holistic management, biological farming, natural sequence farming, and all these other ones need to go into a room with a bat and sort it out and get a common language. And because everyone uses different terms and different technologies and it's 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 not a contour it's a contour it's not a swale it's a swale it's a come out with a common language and um to make it easier half the battle i found on the first day of doing the course was trying to find the connection between what they were talking about and what i understood and i ended up going up to Stuart and say listen if you were using keyline language what would you call this and i said oh you know that all right okay cool got it all right that gave me a reference points to pull everything out but up until that point i had no idea what they were talking about so yeah language was definitely um definitely key brilliant all right now we don't have a lot of time left but i would love to hear a little bit more about both the i know you've you've developed your own permaculture design course and you've a lot of thoughts gone onto that you approach it in a very conscious way i'd love to hear what are you happy to share about the high level patterning of that and and, and the key themes therein and you also talked about which I, what I think is a very important conversation is that some of the people that are that are coming through your PDC, you're looking at ways to mentor them and support them to start working in, in design, which mm. I think I, I just love to see a lot more of that happening. But yeah, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit of firstly about the PDC. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to facilitate two different PDCs. So um, I am also the adult education coordinator at Northy Street for the city farm. So there is a lot of the way I do things have sort of crept into the way I teach over there as well. And also, of course, out here. To me, you know, really coming back to the idea of framework. I know I've done, you know, nine different PDCs now as a, as a student. And, you know, looking at it, a lot of it, the, the framework section for the most part of, you know, how to put it, the, the framework that we attach everything to as it were, was sort of given or delivered at the end of the course. And to me, it, kind of, it felt in the wrong order. So one of the things I do is I give the framework up front. So it's like, you know, um, here's, here's the scaffolding that you can start applying soils and water and, and all that. So it gives it context straight away rather than having to reverse that. With regards to the way I teach it, I like to give each session for me a particular like um, essence statement, as it were. Um, so, so for example, day one, it's, it's more about um, stewarding conversations. You know, people are coming into the space for the first time. They've, you know, they've either read a little bit about permaculture or not. Uh, they've heard it on Gardening Australia or somewhere else, and they're really intrigued by the idea, so they come along. It's a very different learning environment to what they're used to. So while being delivered that information, the, the context behind it is, like I said, the stewarding that conversation. So they start talking to each other on that level. I'm not a teacher. I'm an educator there's far more knowledge in the room surrounding me than, you know, standing at the front of the room and delivering that. So being able to draw all of that out and put it on the table so we can all learn together, I think is really critical and key in that. Um, so that's, that's some of the really high level stuff I aim for. Patterns is, is huge. The more I dive into it over the years, the more critical I find patterns. And it's not just patterns in the landscape, it's patterns in ourselves, our own behaviors you know, our high points, our low points, when we feel energized, when we don't and recognizing that and designing that into that ebb and flow through, you know, to, to make it work. And, you know, I've never seen, really seen a design fail on 
the bit of paper. It's always on the social side of things, you know, whether it be through community groups or family groups or whatever else. So I like to start with the social side of things and drawing that out, Might like using the value statements, goal articulation, um, a little, you know, being in holistic context into that as well, understanding your own context, because that's going to inform the rest of it. Because, yeah, like I said, I find more often than not it fails on the social side of things, not on the ecological side of things. And then ultimately the other side fails because it's not getting managed. So, yeah, bringing a lot of management into it and understanding that you're designing with that management in mind, you know, whether it be with regards to water or soils or whatever else, because that can help refine the different tools and techniques that you use in that. Mm, yeah, I remember you said earlier in the conversation that's a key place that you like to focus is on on what you're calling management here, which is really like just the, the ongoing endless evolution of the whole thing, right? It's like, yeah. it, it really is the whole process. There might be a few bells and whistles at the start that we can give yeah. nice names, but... <laughs> Everyone gets really excited about observation. Everyone gets really excited about the design, you know, putting it down on a bit of paper, whatever else. And then, oh, wow, implementation, woohoo, it's in the ground. Then management, which is forever. You know, that's... That's where it's at. It's, it's that long-term succession that comes in. You know, when you're even thinking about, you're trying to, to you know, be a, a future scout. You're looking at that, you know, 5, 10, 15 years in advance, but what's the evolution between here and there and the changes and the bumps and the, and the roadblocks and the things that are crop up. And, you know, that's where it's at. Uh, if you want these things to succeed, not the, you know, look at this pretty picture. Um, and I, like I say to my students out here, especially, um, you know, don't focus so much on the pretty picture. I'm not interested in the pretty picture. I'm interested in the connections. I'm interested in the placement of things and why, not just, you know, the, the really fine detailed drawing at the end. So yeah, that's, that's, I find that more important. Fantastic. And, um, you tell me a little bit more about this. It's something that I'm, I'm realizing I'm feeling it's appropriate for me to put more conscious energy into too, but the fact that you're giving people opportunities, kind of, I don't know if you call it incubation or just just education, but supporting folk that that want to move into the space of uh, professional level design education or facilitation or whatever you call it. You said you've got some of that going on. What, what's yeah. the sh- shape of that currently? What's happening? Yeah, uh, listen, it's some um, students that have come through um, and it's something I decided I was going to do earlier this year. You know, the whole COVID get, chance to reflect and you know where do i really want to go and what is my context and not just for 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 save us all um but also you know my own personal one with regards to family and kids and all the other bits and pieces as well you know reconnecting in that space and um one of the things i found is you know i was i was doing too much and it's like well okay okay that's fine you know i recognize that that's 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 something i've got to uh, address and um you know, I've had enough students come through over the years who've just done some absolutely brilliant work. And um, they're now, and co- coincidentally enough, serendipitously, you know, they want to come into this space and start, you know, wanting to consult, you know, starting design businesses. And it's like, well, you know, the universe is telling me something here. So um, I'm helping them where they either need it or want it. If, it. if I got contacted by someone who's interested, who's in a particular area where they're at, and it's like, well, listen, I, I know someone, listen, I'm currently at capacity because um, I am, um, you know, I've got like five, potentially six jobs on the go. I'm going to go do some more study next year. Um, you know, got four kids, um, you know, <laughs> diving into that space. But I've got some students who are stepping up into that space. They're really awesome at what they do. Um, I'm, I'm going to be here to support them. Would you be willing to work with them? And um, nine times out of 10, the answer is yes. And so I'm supporting 
them in their new role as stepping into that space with advice, any sort of resources I've got available, tips and tricks I've learned over the years, Zoom conversations with them before the event, uh, before the initial conversations, we talk through the process. Um, and that seems to be, well, so far, touch wood, successful. You know, and it's getting them experience as well to build their own portfolios so they can actually take it to other clients. And when they're contacted, they've got a, a bigger body of work to work with. Yeah, helping them out in that, in that role and um, mutual support in that space. Yeah. That's, that's really exciting stuff. And, I'm loving and- it. I really am loving it. Um, mm. the, the fact that they're, they're, they're ke- these people are keen and they're willing and uh, they want to learn and they want to dive into this space and, you know, they're willing to accept learning from the mistakes that I made, you know, which is sort of they're, they're skipping that first couple of years of, Crap, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, um, and of course, I, 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 I appreciate too that I'm sure you don't want to deprive them of enjoying some of their own mistakes. <laughs> oh, listen, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's where we learn the most, isn't it? It's not a fail. Yeah. It's a first attempt in learning. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's really cool. And, and listeners, um, you've, you've had the link, and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes at permaculture, makingpermaculturestronger.net to Michael's website. And you've also heard that he's got a robust personal and a business context. So don't worry about him. He'll make the right decision for you, but you can go for it. You can get on his contact form, hassle him, <laughs> hit him up. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Love you. Um, <laughs> anyway, Michael, this has been great. It's been really exciting for me to hear about your journey, where you're at with it all, some of the important lessons that you've learned and been able to share. And I know this, this these kinds of conversations are really helpful for a lot of listeners. Mm. So thanks heaps for your time. Now, what I'm going to ask you, Michael, as we wrap up is any closing comments, you know, any last reflections, any questions I, I might've asked, but I didn't, you know, anything that comes to mind that you'd like to share with, with folk that have been chewing in, in, into this conversation. You know, with regards to, you know, those that are interested in, in jumping into the space, whether it be designer or even as an educator, I, I said it earlier on, but what is your strength? You know, and, and it's not just the strength, but also like, what are the, the problems that you're drawn to do time to time again? I mean, that for me, I found was key because, um, you know, even in the teaching space, you know, I, I, developing my own style and really coming down to the idea of what, what is, what is my strength? What are the problems I like to wrestle with? What are the problems I want to solve in the world and how can I address them in that aspect? And, you know, it sounds really high level stuff, but that's affected me and the way I do things, um, in that space. So, you know, asking yourself those three simple questions, um, I think was, was really, really important. Um, and being open, I was going to say, just be open, you know, and be accepting that if you make a mistake, that's okay. You know, it's, it's something that can be recovered from as long as it's something we learn from. Um, and it was, it was my, she's now 16, but my 13, she was 13 at the time and I was wrestling with an issue and um, she came up and she said, dad, it's not a fail. It's a first attempt in learning. You know, this is from the 13 year old. And I went, you know, that's so true. And that just, all of a sudden the burden just, disappeared and you know as long as i can learn from it i can move on and i learned from it and moved on and and be open to that so being being open and, and having conversations with other people about it and learn and accept and and but see if it resonates with you don't just do it because someone else said this is the way you're going to do it it's got to resonate with you and it's got to be true um, because if it's not it's not, it's going to come across as inauthentic and it's not going to work so yeah be being open to that uh, conversation with other people and yourself you know point the finger at yourself which is something we're really bad at doing but yeah. Michael, thanks. It's been fantastic. No worries. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for the invitation. 